Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. What's up, Nashville? <laughs> Welcome to Pod Save America. I'm John Favreau. I'm Simone D. Sander. I'm John Lovett. I'm Tommy Vitor. <laughs> I'm Dan Pfeiffer. We have a great show for you tonight. Uh, later we'll be talking to Stephanie Titro, a local activist from right here in Nashville. You guys know her. Co-director of the Tennessee Immigrant and Refugees Rights Coalition. Um, all right, should we talk about the news, guys? Depressing. Is that what we're doing here? We're going to start with the uh, chaos that has resulted from Donald Trump's decision to Take children away from parents who seek asylum in the United uh. States. Uh, yes. Um, a decision he claims he reversed with an executive order that not even his own government seems to understand. Uh, what we do know at this point is the administration has no plan to reunite the more than 2,000 kids who've been separated. Uh, today, DHS said that about 500 have been reunited. That's their claim. Um, of course, some are as young as eight months old. There aren't enough beds for all the families that uh, they're detaining. There aren't enough immigration lawyers right now. The AP reported that kids are screaming and crying as they realize that their parents are gone. Uh, and in the midst of all this, today the president tweeted, we cannot allow our country to be overrun by illegal immigrants as the Democrats tell their phony stories of sadness and grief. Uh, it's actually hard to listen to you summarize that. It's so... Just, just a reminder that last month, uh, 18 House Republicans nominated Donald Trump for the Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> <laughs> so, back to the drawing board in Oslo, I think. Um, Simone, how do we make sure that this administration doesn't get away with just losing track of 1,500 plus children? Like, how do we make sure this is not another Puerto Rico? I think we have to continue to be vocal about it, but um, we also have to challenge them in the courts. And so I think you've seen a, a cup, yes, clap it up for the court. Um, and so unfortunately right now, it seems like a legal option is the only option to ensure that these folks, that the children are reunited with their parents and vice versa. That's why we saw there was a, a story that caught traction today, a mother from Guatemala uh, sued the Trump administration and she was reunited with her son. Um, now she had a really great attorney, but unfortunately, everyone does not have the means or the access that this mother had. And so we have to make sure that uh, we are raising funds, that we are supporting organizations that are providing folks with immigration attorneys and keeping the pressure on it. Every single time a reporter or anyone reports that Donald Trump stopped the family separations at the border, well, they need to accurately report that uh, he stopped family separations and has instituted family detention, which is another name for jail. Yeah. Tommy, what do you think? I mean, uh, as someone just mentioned, like, I, I think we all talked about uh, in the last show that the media so far has done a pretty good job of calling attention to this. 
it does feel like we are at that point in a media cycle about a Trump crisis where it's the end of a week where it has made news every single day. It's been the only news story every day, which is a good thing because everyone's aware. But what do we do as we move into the next coming weeks? It is hard because we're in such a bizarre land. I mean, a, a great reporter uh, named Simon Molloy pointed out on Twitter that Melania Trump went on a fact-finding mission to observe a humanitarian crisis created by her husband. <laughs> 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 that we, we don't really have the experience to deal with that. So she's going uh, to next go tour the factories where Ivanka's shoes are being made. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we'll, we'll talk about Congress later and what we can or can't do, but the reality is we're not in charge of anything. Uh, and so I think the key right now for Democrats is like, constant sustained pressure and attention on reuniting these kids who have been separated from their parents. Because if you read stories from lawyers that are trying to navigate this morass of bureaucracy and cruelty and incompetence, they are having an unbelievably difficult time finding these kids who were taken away from families starting in you know, May, not that long ago. So unless there is real focus, sustained focus on fixing this problem, it's not going to go away. And that's our job now, I think, is people who care. Yeah. So the Trump propaganda machine is working overtime to minimize the story. Fox News? Uh, the, the whole yeah. bunch of them. We have Laura Ingram called the detention center summer camps. Um, Sinclair Broadcasting is reportedly forcing its stations to air commentary that says liberal reports of children detention were exaggerated. Um, Brian Kilmeade of Fox and Friends said, quote, these aren't our kids, show them compassion, but it's not like he's doing this to the people of Idaho or Texas. Um, Dan, what, what do we do about this? Do the, do the pictures themselves make this kind of propaganda harder to pull off this time? Yes, I mean, th what has been different, like this, was, this past week was different in yeah. the sense that it felt for a second like the old rules applied where there was a crisis Trump fucked up, and then he had to face some measure of political accountability. He did not solve the problem. We are in the first inning of trying to re reunite these families and deal with the larger problems of immigration in this country. But he felt pressure, and his ability to just scream fake news and have Ann Coulter go out there and call them child actors and all of that did not work with as much success time. And that's because of the images and because they, for every time an ICE spokesman went out and said, these kids aren't in cages, then there would be dozens of photos of kids in cages that would be shared millions of times on social. And so what Democrats have to do here, because we don't have a propaganda machine, we don't have Fox News, we don't have Breitbart, and I'm very happy about that. I wouldn't want to yeah. be part of a party to have those horrible things. But is we have to keep fo our, our attention focused. And it's not just senators and members of Congress continuing to go to these centers and demanding to see the kids. It's all of us who have the power to communicate with people from the phone in our pocket, sharing these pictures, talking about it, tweeting about it, because we're in this weird media world now where it's not the news that leads Twitter, it's Twitter that leads the news. And so if we can keep discussion about this, keep it trending, you can have viral videos like Congressman John Lewis today talking about this. If we can share that with every person in our lives, then we, then we can keep the focus on the issue. And that's critically important because once the cameras turn off, we, you know what little attention the Trump administration is giving this is going to go away in a second. They're going to focus on the next policy atrocity that they want to commit. Yeah. Love it. What do you think? Do Democrats need to keep focusing on this no matter what? I already saw there's some Politico story today that, like, you know, a few of the red state Democrats are like, well, it was important to speak out this week, but, like, how long are we going to be on this issue? They're already a little, you know. 
<laughs> oh, red state Democrats. <laughs> Will you or won't you be cool today? Uh, healthcare, yes. Uh, I think it's a good question. I think obviously we never talk about any story in a sustained way at this level on any issue ever, so we should be aware of that. I think, it's about I think this has broken a record in the Trump administration. Yes, this right? and, well, two things, this and the Parkland kids, right? This is a lesson yeah, of what, what, can, what can break through for a long time, but even still, stories come along and, 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 and the story changes. I think it's about making sure we're fitting, we're fitting our position on immigration into the larger story we're trying to tell. I think that's actually pretty challenging. I mean, the one thing that I was thinking about and how it can connect to what we're saying more broadly is criminal justice reform has been stymied in Congress for a long time, and in large part, it was by Jeff Sessions. And yes, boo, sure. Absolutely, boo. Absolutely, boo. He's boo-worthy. And, and, and the only reason I draw that connection is because I think what we're seeing is, a, is in a larger way a conversation about justice and mercy. And this idea of zero tolerance is this idea that what you can have is justice without mercy, that, that, you, can, that you can throw the book at people and it's simple and it's easy and these problems aren't hard to solve, in part because you're lying, in part because you uh, dehumanize people and... I think that Democrats need to be the party of, of mercy. And I think one of the reasons Hillary, so Hillary Clinton, I, sure. Are you applauding because you remember her? Uh, <laughs> we've debated, there's been a lot of debate as to whether or not she was an inspiring candidate, but there was something she said on the campaign trail that was inspiring. It is when she talked about love and kindness because it was a, it was something deeper than the kind of tinny political words we're all used to. And so this is a point Dan's been making. We've all been making it, but, but not allowing the immigration debate to become one in which we are trying to prove how tough we are so people will give us maybe the chance to be humane, but leading with what we actually believe, which is that we don't believe that this immigration problem is big enough to visit these horrors on children. And we believe that this is a compassionate country. We believe in compassionate college. And that goes for, and we are compassionate on immigration. We are compassionate on healthcare. We are compassionate about making sure kids get an education. I think it's about making sure we're telling a story about human empathy and that we are fighting for it. And like, I think, I just think the other thing is, while we're telling that story, making sure we're um, being clear about the facts. You know, this is, the, the, it's, a, it's a crisis at the border right now that the Trump administration created, but to be clear, crime is down. Yeah. The, major, the people that, that commit the majority of crimes in this country are in fact not immigrants. Um, there, there is no immigration crisis. There is, a, there is a, we need to reform our immigration system because people are getting stuck in the system, so on and so forth, and Donald Trump wants to build this wall, but Democrats should not fall into the trap of using the Republicans' language of that we just want open borders. No one is talking about open borders. We don't have open borders now. If you've ever left the country, you know for a fact that there are no open borders in America. And so I think Democrats fall into the trap of uh, using the Republicans' language to talk about the issue, and that is where we lose. Yeah. Tommy, were you going to say something? No, it's just great. Lovett and Simone are, are exactly right. I mean, Democrats run scared on immigration a lot because there's a tricky issues and tough votes that have been taken. But two-thirds of the country opposes separating these kids from their families. And 80% of the country opposes finding a fix to allow the dreamers, kids who are brought to the country by their parents when they're small children, letting them stay in the country. So there are issues we can run on and fight on and win. Yeah, no, I, I do think there is... There's a problem with buying into Trump's frame that there is some crisis on immigration right now. And this gets to something deeper 
uh, a bunch of people have pointed out that there is no huge influx of immigrants at the border like there was actually when Obama dealt with this issue in 2014. Um, Someone you mentioned that crime rates for immigrants are in many places lower than native-born Americans. And yet, this administration from the beginning has decided to create this crisis. And the question is, why did they decide to create this crisis? So Vanity Fair quoted an outside advisor to the White House saying, quote, Stephen Miller actually enjoys seeing those pictures on the border. Stephen Miller is a white nationalist. I just want to be extremely clear. And he gets, he gets his, like he is aligned with people in the white nationalist movement. He's been very clear about this. He's been very clear about his ideology. And so why we are allowing a white nationalist to sit in the people's house the White House, and make policy that literally demonizes people of color in this country, I don't understand. He needs to go and everybody needs to call on him being fired, like along with Secretary Nielsen, everybody else that instituted this policy. It's well, crazy. Smart. I, w- I was just about to ask, I was about to take it further. He is a white nationalist. Is this what a white nationalist policy looks like? Which is a scary, like, it's a scary thing to say, but like, my question is, <laughs> if not, what would a white nationalist policy look like? I don't want to hypothesize about <laughs> white nationalist policies, okay? The black woman in America, that makes me terrified. It is terrifying, but it's like, you know, you've got Stephen Miller saying this. You've got Steve Bannon, who a couple months ago said, there's too many Asian CEOs in Silicon Valley. We're more than an economy, we're a society. Like, uh, uh, my question is, like, how many more times do they have to tell us this? Mexicans coming over the border are rapists animals, infestation. Like, I just, uh, there's part of me that worries at some point, like, how many times do they have to tell us this before we believe them? I think, I honestly think to the point um, that Lovett made about these red state Democrats, folks are so scared to broach the topic of, to, to speak plainly and frankly about immigration reform, about what the White House is actually doing, about the language they're actually using, that, they're not, that we're not confronting it. I want to remind folks, Hitler wasn't some crazy outside person. He was a, a tool of the government. He was in charge. And he, Hitler repeated the language over and over and over until folks uh, internalized it, until they believed it was true. It was a propaganda machine. And that is what's currently is happening in this country. I'm frankly concerned about the people that are um, excusing and justifying what the White House and this administration is doing, saying, well, these folks broke the law. Like, if, if they will um, get on the side of folks tearing innocent kids away from their families that did nothing wrong, who are fleeing very just desperate situations, desperate situations that the United States government maybe had a hand or did not in creating the, creating the environment, if, if there are folks in this country that are going to underscore that, what else will they underscore? That now we're going to have tent cities, i.e. internment camps. What next? I don't know. Yeah. Dan? Well, Simone is exactly right. And I think it is important that we not just put pressure on Stephen Miller and Steve Bannon and Kirsten Nielsen, Donald Trump, because Stephen Miller and Steve Bannon, they advocate white support. They advocate white identity politics. They're put aside their for own... For conservative white people. No. For conservative white people, Yes. What they want, they, they believe the best politics. And Donald not Trump, y'all, not y'all. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Being better than that is not worth applauding yourself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. But so th- Donald Trump believes that the best politics for him is for white people to be scared of non-white people. Because Donald Trump will claim credit for the sun coming up. Yet when border crossings went down, he didn't claim credit for it. He just tried to pump up the crisis and scare people. And it's right, he could have been out there saying border crossings were at their it. lowest. Yes. I did better than Obama did yeah. on border crossings. Look at me. I am the wall. He could have said that. Just think, this, like, this says you so much that his racism, 
what superseded as narcissism in this moment. Yeah. And I think we have to put pressure also on Republicans, because not every Republican member of Congress is a racist, but they, have, they are willing to enable a racist because they want the votes of racists. And that is incredibly important. And I think we have to call them out because when history looks back on this moment, Paul Ryan, to pick a random member out of the crowd, will be <laughs> Paul, Paul Ryan will be the Neville Chamberlain of racism. <laughs> Two possible episode titles right in a row. <laughs> I would like to just reiterate what Dan said, which is that there are a lot of really good people who are Republicans. I'm sure all of us have family members who are in the public bar. Like, yes, we there. Like, like, there's, there's, don't boo. There's no, all there's there's good Republicans. We want their votes one day. There, there are. Even if you feel there it. Are, there are all kinds of members of Congress, decent people, but those people have sat side by side with a guy named Steve King for many, many years, since yep. 2003. Now, Steve King is a Republican uh, member of Congress from uh, southwestern Iowa. And he was Donald, he's, he is far more of a white nationalist overtly than Donald Trump is today. Uh, he doesn't think that races should mix. Uh, during a debate about uh, dreamers, he said for every valedictorian, there are 100 uh, people who came north of the border who have calves like cantaloupes because they are carrying drugs. He's been saying the most disgusting, despicable, overtly racist, overtly white nationalist things for years and years and years. And he's sort of just been allowed to exist in their caucus, in polite society in Washington. It feels a bit like all the rumors about all these horrific men in the Me Too crisis, and all of a sudden one day, society decided like, okay, now we care about what Harvey Weinstein did or what Bill Cosby did or all these people. Like, I'm waiting for Washington to wake up and say, what the fuck? How has Steve King been sitting with us also, this whole time? Also, by the way, like, Steve King has always been uh, a racist, but he has even been emboldened in this last few years. Like, some of his craziest shit has come, and this is what happens because he sees Donald Trump in the White House, mm -hmm. and he feels more comfortable saying this stuff he out loud. He asked, what did black people do to help this country? And I was like, we built this thing. Yeah. We, we, we built it. He said we should, <laughs> he said we should electrify the border fence because it worked with cattle. I mean, he's just gotten crazy. This man is a United States congressman. And every Republican congressman goes to lunch with him once a week. They all sit with him, fucking pass the mustard, and they eat together, and no one says <laughs> a word to him. You know, it's... Um, pass the mayonnaise. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, like, you see that, like, with Scott Pruitt and Tom Price, that, like, the regular rules of scandal... I mean, Scott Pruitt hasn't resigned, but that's because he's shameless, but... but but the scandal has hit him, right? There is still political gravity. There are still things that won't be tolerated. Tom Price had to go. Um, but I think there, there are admissions that when you make them require your behavior to shift so drastically that I think there's a lot of people who become afraid to do it. So to admit that Stephen Miller is a white nationalist, to admit that Donald Trump is motivated uh, by a desire to keep brown people out of the country, to admit that, is to admit that you need to reorient your behavior totally against him. And so Republicans can't do it. And even for reporters to report that. It's to admit that you're in an alliance with them. It's to admit that, that you're, you're in a governing political alliance with them. And the same, and, and, um, the same thing happens with, with collusion and with, uh, with admitting to what's obvious, right? That, that is why the same reason uh, a lot of the, the teach the controversy stuff happens around whether or not Donald Trump is a racist, the same reason it happens around Russia's involvement in the election and Donald Trump's corruption. It's because if you state the truth plainly, 
it would require your behavior to change. It would require the press to change. It would require the, the Republicans to change. And they just can't. They're afraid to do it. They're afraid, they're afraid of the moment that they're in. They're afraid of what history is asking of them. And we just have to accept the fact that we won't be able to change them. We have, we have to, to beat defeat them. them. We have to beat them. Um, well, so that brings us to how to actually change these policies, which unfortunately involves the United States Congress. Um, <laughs> so an extremely right-wing immigration bill failed in the House on Thursday because not enough Republicans supported it. Um, and then Paul Ryan delayed a vote on his immigration bill until next week because not enough right-wingers support it. So, so, and then Trump, of course, <laughs> these, these Republicans, like the crazy right-wingers and the moderates and the regular conservatives, they're all getting together to try to hash out an immigration bill and figure something out, even though they know that that probably won't pass the Senate at all. And then Donald Trump tweets this morning, he just shits all over the entire process <laughs> by tweeting that Republicans should just wait until after the midterms. Um, for the red wave. For the red wave. For the Sounds red wave. wave. The red wave. Sounds like Aunt Flo is coming next week, okay? Yeah. I'm waiting on the red wave right now. I thought I had a question here. Oh, yeah. Um, Dan, can Republicans ever pass, can this party ever pass an immigration bill on their own? Because we're, we're, we're going to get to a point in this debate, and I already saw it in a couple places in the media, like, you know, are Democrats on the defensive now? Don't Democrats have to get together with Republicans and compromise on an immigration bill? But it seems like there's nothing for Democrats to do until Republicans can get their act together and all agree themselves on what their position is. Like, I don't think they can pass anything, right? No, I, well, they could, maybe. Maybe they will bribe people, legally bribe people with appropriations or whatever. They'll uh, twist arms and they'll just get over the line because they think, because they know it's not going to become law. So it's just, they don't want to embarrass themselves. This is how they pass a lot of legislation that never becomes law. <laughs> but it just shows how messed up the mentality is from the Republicans, which is they're not even trying to get a Democrat. Like right. you could, Easily. you could t like back in 2013, the Senate passed a bill with more than 60 votes to reform immigration system. It was most of what Barack Obama wanted, but, all, but not everything because we had to get the votes of like eight Republican senators. And that bill, if it were put on the floor of the house today and people were just able just voted their conscience, would get 300 votes. If you put a bill, a straight up bill to give legal, uh, to reinstate the DACA program, it would get 300 votes and pass the Senate. But they won't let it happen because they don't want to solve the problem. They just want to have an issue. The problem that we could address immigration, we could do it tomorrow, but Republicans are afraid that if they lose that issue, then they're not going to have anything to fire up the base about. But it's also, I mean, this. The right wing of the Republican Party in the House of Representatives have prevented this country from governing now for going on 20 years. George W. Bush tried to pass immigration reform, had Democrats on board, the bill died because of the right wing Republicans in the House. Then Barack Obama tries to do it, gets the Senate Republicans and Democrats together, passes something, it dies because of the right wing Republicans in the House. And it is not just the case that this is Detroit immigration. This is every single issue. <laughs> this is why 2018, in some ways, is even more important than some presidential elections, because there is a faction in the House of Representatives of Republicans that are literally holding the entire country hostage on every single issue. There's actually, a, there's actually also a glimmer of hope in that, which is, uh, you know, the Republicans 
have, have, have shown us they know how to campaign but not govern, and Democrats have shown us how to govern but not campaign. Uh, but you can, you can lie and demagogue on immigration. You can lie and you can demagogue on health care. But when it comes time to pass something, the words have to be typed down on paper. You can't just attack Democrats. You can't just say you're going to do something on Fox News. You have to write down what you're going to do in order and pass it. And everybody has to agree. But when, when, when the only thing you agree on is the lie about the other side, governing becomes very, very hard. And it's actually saved us well, more than we should admit. ACA, yeah. That is exactly what I'm saying. That is why. That is the problem with healthcare. And their, their lies catching up with them when they govern has been a huge help to us and protecting us while we've been out of power. Um. On Wednesday, in the midst of this whole disaster, like position five positions ago, uh, Trump held this this meeting with a bunch of Republican leadership in the cabinet. No room. women, by the way. No women. Well, one <laughs> one lady, one, one lady, lady. Uh, one lady. No people of color, but we're no. talking about immigration. No. Uh, I don't know. Mothers being ripped from their kids. One mom. I don't know. And might have been nice. And Lamar Alexander turned to him and said, uh, "said it was." <laughs> It was so funny. I, I know was, Lamar. I'm, I've watched the whole thing. I'm a nerd. And, uh, and he said, Mr. President, uh, uh, Nixon was able to go to China, and, and Reagan was able to go and say, tear down that wall, and I think you can be that leader on immigration. And then somebody's like, Donald Trump doesn't fucking understand immigration. He doesn't know what he wants. He doesn't know what's in the bill. He knows he wants to go chant locker up and build the wall. It's like there's no... There's no desire or need to get it done. There's no policy well, they've all, they've goals all been underlying these things. They've all been told, like, this is how you do it. You flatter him. Oh, and this so is the, funny. And, like, it Rub never... It yeah, like, he feels good about <laughs> it. It never works. And, uh, you know. um, so let's talk about the Democrats, since uh, it's no exaggeration to say that the survival of the Republic hinges on us taking back the House. No pressure. Um, on Thursday, the Democratic National Committee rolled out a new plan to turn out new and sporadic voters in the midterms, and the plan specifically focuses on people of color. The DNC plans to spend millions of dollars to identify likely Democratic voters who are unregistered and removed from the political process and are hiring community organizers to target black, Asian, Latino, and millennial voters. Um, Simone, you've talked to the DNC, worked with the DNC a lot. Do you think this is more of a symbolic announcement, or do you think this is the real deal? I think they really want to do this, but I think there's an edit in there. They're not spending millions of dollars, they're spending 1.5 million. And it sounds like a lot of money, but in what's basically July of one of the most important midterm elections of our lifetime, I don't think 1.5 million dollars is going to cut it. Yeah. This is something that we needed in January. You know, I don't, I don't like to poop on the party because I think we need the party. The party needs to be strong. If the DNC is not strong that it, for the midterm elections and even post-midterm, we're in a lot of trouble. But the, the fact of the matter is, I think, th I think they want to do this. I think this is an actual commitment. I'm just concerned about the timing of the rollout and the funds that have been allocated. And maybe 1.5 is what they had. So if you give them what you got, I'm with it. But I don't think it's going to be enough. Um, Dan, apparently a lot of the money is going towards organizers so they can get people to vote who don't normally vote in midterms. How difficult is doing that? And, and what can they learn from what Obama did in 08 and 12? It's hard, but it should be less hard this time because what kept people from turning out in previous elections was they thought it didn't matter. Now, you must be living in a cabin in the woods off the grid if you think <laughs> elections don't matter anymore. Now, 
I completely agree with Simone on the DNC here. I think this is probably what they have. And if they had three million, they'd spend three million. And that is, says a lot about how hard it is to be a party committee in a time when the Koch brothers can dump a, million, a billion dollars mm -hmm. into a mm -hmm. race. But this is what, is what is, I think, the most hopeful things that has happened since this election, is people out there in the country didn't wait to, for the DNC to tell them what to do. Yeah. They formed swing left, indivisible, and, and I know, and I, I spent a lot of time with the swing left's group in San Francisco, where I live, and they have been knocking doors for these exact voters in the Crooked Eight districts for over a year now. They go every weekend to one of those districts and they knock doors. And so it'll be great. Everyone, everyone join the party. DNC, the outside groups, swing left, and everyone. If you think the DNC is not spending enough money, it's the, if the DNC money is not going to get you enough organizers, go to swing left and volunteer and go to one of these districts and do it. Like We don't have to wait around to be told what to do anymore. Can yeah. I say one more thing? Yeah, I please. also think it's important that people understand that because we're dealing with folks that usually do not vote in a midterm election and, and unregistered voters that if they were registered would be likely to vote Democrat, this is a persuasion and mobilization effort and a persuasion of people that are our voters. And traditionally, we look at the demographics that they outline, uh, Asian American Pacific Islander, Latinx, African American voters, as purely mo mobilization. No. You need to go to these communities, communities that are not, that don't necessarily, are, are, they're cool in the Democratic Party, and explain why you would like to earn their vote and persuade them to actually be with you on the issues and then also persuade and mobilize them to the polls. And we don't necessarily look at um, these demographics as persuasion folks, but we got to do some persuading of our own people. That is and such an folks have to point. understand that. That is the most important point, because I think the Democratic Party is really good at looking at where blocks of voters are that we could turn out and saying, oh, if we turn them out, then we will win. But that skips a step. We were talking with Stacey Abrams about this a bunch last night. She's investing early uh, in a lot of communities. And then just, just thinking back to the Obama experience in Iowa in 2008, like Iowa was viewed as a state that there, there was Edwards, Hillary, and Obama. And the theory of the case was that the caucus universe was what it was. It's about 125, 150,000 people, and it never changed. And it was a fool's errand to try. And Obama came in and said, the only way I can win this is to get young people, people of color, people who've never caucused before and turn them out. And the other campaigns scoffed at us, but we invested early. We organized, we went to their house, we organized seniors in high school, like communities that had never seen a candidate saw Barack Obama and lo and behold, he won the Coxes and that's the only reason he's president. So that yeah. kind of grassroots organizing from day one yep. is the key. And, and absolutely. The one thing, go ahead. No, the, one, the, the other thing too is just, we should be honest and it's really important and it's really hard. So midterm electorates look more Republican, they're whiter, they're older. Um, also Republicans realize conservative activists realized, billionaires on that side realized that uh, with changing demographics, there was, it was a more effective way to, to win was not to turn out more voters, but to make it harder for Democrats to vote. They made it harder with voter ID and gerrymandering. Um, and so now we have to do all this work. We have to get people who don't normally vote to register and to vote. We have to, we have to turn out people who haven't traditionally voted in midterms. They got this propaganda apparatus and they just got people watching Fox News and then just going to hit the Fox News cattle prod on election day uh, to get those people out to vote. Their voters are there. Their voters vote in midterms. Um, and we have to do something that doesn't ordinarily happen. And it is really hard and it's going to take a lot of work. That's all. Yeah, I mean, right now you're seeing the enthusiasm gap in all these polls. 
you know, Democrats are leading by double digits when you ask people, are you excited to go vote? But I think Republicans are catching up. And this is clearly Trump's entire strategy is to play on these issues, immigration, MS-13, all this kind of stuff. It's not to reach out to swing voters or to people in the center or, to or anything like that. He just wants to make sure his base isn't so dispirited that they stay home. But, you know, he's catching up because Democrats, we don't do well when we're not also talking about the issues that are directly affecting everybody's lives. We yeah. need to be talking about immigration. We have to call out the white supremacy, the racism, the sexism, xenophobia. Um, but uh, the economy is something that affects all of us. And we have to keep talking about the tax bill. The tax bill, which is now the tax law, is not popular. When you explain to people what is going on with that bill, it's not popular. The Republicans got a bill that they're going to put on the floor in August to try and repeal and replace Obamacare. Yet, and not even yeah. replace, it's just a repeal. In August, people like their health care. And so um, what I think is encouraging, yes, yes, clap for the health care that we all like. <laughs> What should be encouraging is the fact that uh, Democrats are not going into these districts talking about Donald Trump, praise the Lord. Um, they are going in districts talking about the tax bill, they're talking about health care, and now we're going to be talking about uh, immigration, specifically these children. And that is what's going to put us over the top in the midterm elections. We don't got to talk about Russia, we don't need to talk about Donald Trump, because the fact of the matter is the voters that don't like Trump, reminding me that I hate him is not going to make me want to vote for you. And for the voters that kind of like him and voted for them, don't necessarily want to be shamed into their, you know, midterm election ballot. But what they do want to do is go to the polls on the issues. And so Democrats are out there saying, I talked to lots of, I, I go to before the House caucus more times than I would like. But it is necessary work. And they are saying... What'd you say to both that, of them? Well, I... <laughs> <laughs> I tell them that, one, they need to get out on television and they be talking about the issues, and they tell me that they're going to the House floor, and I'm like, y'all, we ain't watching C-SPAN. No one's watching that. And so if you go, go to the House floor, clip it and put it on social, and then get on TV and repeat what you said on the House yeah, floor. Yeah, why don't you go, instead of the House floor, why don't you save yourself the trouble? Just scream in the shower for a few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the House floor and is... And then do something that'll I help. I want to diminish the House floor because they are using the tools that are before them as legislators, but you need to take the House floor and give it to the people because I don't watch C-SPAN. So, you know, I'm, I'm encouraged. Person. I'm encouraged, but I'm not encouraged by the D-Trip. So I just want to be clear. Uh, we, could, we could have a whole show on the D-Trip. Okay, not encouraged. Um, I do think, though, like, <laughs> do you guys think that the, the, the message... Just a soft hit and no explanation moving forward. Uh, yeah, we're... Right, yeah. <laughs> Not encouraged. They all get Google it. Google it. <laughs> Just want to be on record. I, say, I think Democrats for a long time have thought when they look at all these different constituencies that they have to mobilize, they're like, all right, we need our message and our strategy for African-Americans, we need it for Latinos, we need it for young voters, we need it for women. It does seem like in this election and in this media age, we should be able to nationalize this election around a single message. Yeah, well, you yes. should, one, you should never have different messages for different people. And this is one of the problems. Which seems like common sense, but is not the history well, of the is, party. <laughs> well, th what, ha what happened is we basically got too much information, right? Mm. The data was so deep right. and important, it was so, was so deep that you would know, like, white women over 50 cared about education, and young men under 30 in this precinct in Cleveland cared about climate change. And so what you're, what you're doing is you're, do, you're micro-targeting voters instead of having a story that appeals to as many people as possible. Like, you need a broad message. If you have to go say one thing to, in an African-American precinct in Atlanta and another thing in suburban Cobb County, you're not going to win an election because guess what? The internet exists. People hear both messages, right? If right. You, 
And, you know, and so it's like our friend Jason Kander said to you and I right after yeah. the election. Whoa, big Kander right. fans. Yeah. He Kander he made the, out here. Yeah, he made, the, he made the case that if you, he talked about messaging the election and said, if, what would you, what would be more persuasive if you were on a jury? A lawyer who went up to you and made a specific argument to all 12 jurors, or a lawyer who went up and made an argument that all 12 jurors could find compelling. Right, and that's what Democrats have to do. And that, what about not, Dan? Dan, what about a lawyer that makes an argument to everyone except Wisconsin and Michigan? <laughs> <laughs> Too soon. And it's not—it's not rocket science. It's what Barack Obama did, and he won. Right, right, and that's—and back to Tommy's point, that's exactly how Bring he expanded the universe of caucus goers in Iowa. Yeah. It was one message, you know. Yeah. Um, okay. Sorry, Dan. That was funny. <laughs> don't, don't apologize to Dan. Apologize to all the Hillary staffers that are going to be mad about this podcast episode. <laughs> they know. You know I kid. <laughs> I kid because I mean it. Uh, <laughs> I can't wait I mean, to discuss... The facts are she ain't go. Right. I can't wait to discuss cutting this in the car ride home. We're not cutting it. <laughs> hold on, hold on. I'll make sure we don't cut it. It was Comey. All right. <laughs> <laughs> It was the letter. <laughs> and now for a game we call OK Stop. <laughs> we'll roll a clip. Panel can say OK Stop at any point to comment. For years, Democrats have been labeled as a party of the elites. But lucky for us, Donald Trump is here to take the mantle. And Greg Gutfield of Fox News <laughs> is finding it within himself to make his face be excited to talk about it. Take a look. Was that a man or a woman? Because he needs a haircut more than I do. I couldn't tell. Needs a haircut. That's our Donald. Last okay, night stop. <laughs> I honestly Who picked don't know that what that was about. I don't know. But like, who was like, this, this shows the side of Trump that people like. <laughs> yeah. It's our guy. I just like, it's just <laughs> long hair. What are you, some kind of a woman? The worst thing you can be? Uh. <laughs> rally was nothing new. The crowd loved him. The people who already hate him will just hate him more. And the media pats itself on the head for not covering it while secretly watching okay, Fox. Okay, stop. But the media covered it. Like, they always cover it. And they didn't put it live for one. They co which is great. But they were all on Twitter. Everybody watched it. They covered it. They tweeted about it. They talked about it afterwards. They covered it. Fox News is lying. They're liars. Yeah, well... <laughs> Believe me, we all know about the fucking rally. We heard about the rally. <laughs> we heard about the rally. We could not get away from the rally. And we saw Donald Trump's time. problem is not that he doesn't get enough attention. <laughs> yeah, right. If he's a monster, he might be the worst monster ever. <laughs> okay, stop. Okay, stop. Stop. Fact check, true. Yeah. Greg Gutfield, Fox News has this told the truth. This was factual. Okay, yeah. they're not lying right now. Brave. He's the worst monster ever. I mean, I'm with it. At all. <laughs> That's why optimism is high. 95% of manufacturers have a positive company outlook. It's good news, even if the elites deny it. And about those elites. You ever notice they always call the other side, and they do this up, the elite. Okay, the elite. Your guys call the other side the elites. They don't call them, they're not like, we're the elites. Let me slap my suspenders and go play polo. You dickheads. He's like, Sean Hannity makes $8 million a year, rides a private jet, and calls Democrats elites. He's a slumlord in North Carolina or something. Yeah. <laughs> what he said. 
Donald Trump's an Ivy League educated billionaire with a gold toilet. Like, what the fuck is he talking about? Well, billionaire adjacent. <laughs> uh, I'd also point out that, as always, Donald Trump is projecting. I think Donald Trump was thinking before he went on stage that his hair was too long. Uh, it was something that was on his mind. Oh, it I, it's yeah. a podcast, but if you go look at the debate footage, you'll look that his hair is a little long, and it was on his mind, and so he just projected outward, as he always does. So, people listening to this can't see the Chiron right now, but it says, Trump mocks elites at campaign rally, colon, I have a much better apartment, and I'm richer than they are. That's what they were. The he really thing wants is, to be the elite. That That's is so. That is legitimately funny from Fox. It is, and they have they have no idea how funny it is. I have no idea. <laughs> They're like, yeah, we're proving Trump's point. Why are they elite? I have a much better apartment than they do. I'm smarter than they are. Okay, stop. I'm richer. I just. <laughs> he knows he's not. He knows he's not. It's at the core of everything he does. But all that's what of I'm it. The, whole, the, funny, the funniest thing is he is jealous of not being labeled elite, which is a derogatory term used in politics for people. But he's jealous that he didn't get that term. And they are. I became president and they didn't. Right on that one. And I'm representing the greatest, smartest, most loyal, best people on earth. The okay. deplorables, remember that? Okay, stop. There is something that's pretty disgusting about this. I because know. Because every other president who has ever said that meant every American. The ones that voted for them, the ones who voted for their opponent, and the ones who didn't vote. He does not mean that. He means only the 38 to 41 percent who support him. And that is a huge and dramatic change in how someone thinks yeah. about the presidency. Well, I mean, for all the people who were like, you know, when Trump was first elected and people were like, not my president, not my president, there was all this criticism. He's basically saying like, not my country, not my half of country. Yeah. Like, not your you, president. Not, not, no, your, not president. your president. Like half the country, no, I'm, I don't represent you. I only represent the deplorable. Well, more, look, it's more in than my half. head, the president is still black. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's who? key. Now, bragging oh, is never appealing, but he's not wrong that by wealth, he's an elitist, mm -hmm. yet he's still embraced by working classes. Okay, stop. Okay, stop. Oh. I just want to note that this is literally in the teleprompter. Like, he's reading yeah. this off the teleprompter. Somebody had to type this shit up. <laughs> and they put it in the teleprompter, and they were like, this is what we're going to yeah, do. He with. had to caveat it. Bragging is never attractive. <laughs> exactly, exactly. However. For you deplorables at the rally, the outraged celebrity class will always deem you to be the uncool kids. Trump defends you against the jerks. So it's not about wealth or apartments. Okay, stop. It's you can't see this at home, but his ears start at his shoulders. <laughs> and it's really unnerving to just drop down that deep. Keep going. But speaking up for people that the media celebrity complex snickers at. And it's why when everything seems to be working out, those snickers seem truly from Mars. <laughs> what? Is that a joke? That was so bizarre. And that's okay, stop. When we come back, we'll have Dan's interview and Simone's interview with Stephanie Titro. Yay, Stephanie!
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule Damn. is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. You know, you know, you know. Have you been able to squeeze that special thing into your schedule, John? Yeah, that's. I think it's thanks to therapy. Therapy can help you find what matters to you, so you can do more of it, Mm -hmm. more time for you. I, uh, you know, because we've been doing what a weekday. Mm -hmm. I actually put that in my therapy spot. You know, I I replaced therapy with doing an extra podcast. Mm. It was a huge mistake. So, uh, what do you spend time doing at therapy now? Well, now I brought therapy back. I added therapy back to another time because uh, it turns out talking. That's going to make the jokes better. Well, it's certainly going to make things better for the team. (laughs) (laughs) If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash PSA today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash PSA. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. When booking with other vacation rental apps sounds like this. This place doesn't look like the pictures. Come on, the doors are on back. Ah, What the... Is there a door behind all those spiders? <laughs> it's time to try one that sounds more like a vacation. <sighs> Look at how many spiders there aren't. Where should we lie down for eight consecutive hours first? Relax. You booked a Verbo. She is the co-executive director of the Tennessee Immigrant Refugee Rights Coalition. Oh. <laughs> whose mission is to empower immigrants and refugees to develop a unified voice. Please welcome Stephanie Tietro. Hi. Thank you. That's, you're very popular here. Happy to be here. And you got on a poppin' jumpsuit, if I must say. <laughs> that was my question. <laughs> Um, thank you for joining us, and thank, and thank you for all the work that you do. So I, I'm going to start in 2017, just a few days after Donald Trump had been sworn into office, and after he had set his Muslim ban into motion. You told a newspaper here in Nashville that ten- in Tennessee had already experienced the best and worst instincts of people responding to demographic change. How has your work been affected in the year and a half since, when the person who's been encouraging the worst instincts of people has been the President of the United States? So something we've been saying since the election is that communities in Tennessee, we've been living in Trump's America for a long time. And so that means two things for us. One, it means that we know how to fight and we know how to win in hostile climates. But it also means that immigrant communities especially, but many communities are experiencing sort of Trump on overdrive, right? So not only are we dealing with the same ramping up of immigration enforcement, people are separated from their families when refugee resettlement is halted, but we have Tennessee sheriffs signing up to join the deportation force. We have our state legislature passing bills that will require our local governments to help carry out mass deportations. And so I think what we've learned uh, and, and what the communities in Tennessee can teach America about how to survive is that we can 
build power while we're fighting. We've talked about how can we win while we're losing, right? How can we get stronger out of this? And part of that, and I think it's especially relevant in this moment, is not letting these crises uh, pass us by. How can we make sure that these moments um, are transformative? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So given that, um, a few months ago, ICE conducted a massive raid at a meat processing plant east of here in Bean Station, Tennessee. Yes, we hate it. Nearly 100 workers were detained, but you and your colleagues, you were actually there when it happened. And you were there when the people in and around the plant in Morristown organized, and they pushed back against what was happening around them. A church was even converted into a crisis center. So please tell us what kind of work has gone into organizing that community even before the raid happened, and then what work has happened since? I'm so glad you asked about Morristown because I think in this news cycle uh, of crisis after crisis, it didn't break through, but it's so important that country, uh, communities across America pay attention what, to what happened in Morristown because since then, every few weeks, the Trump administration has carried out another mass worksite raid. Just this week, while all eyes were on the border, they arrested 140 people in Ohio, the second mass worksite raid there this month. Um, so what happened in Morristown, uh, or in Bean Station, is there's a meat processing plant. Some people had worked there for over a decade. And all of a sudden, one morning, just like any other day, they kissed their kids goodbye, sent their kids to school. Helicopters start uh, swirling above the building. Dozens of agents storm in with weapons. And they arrest every Latino in the, the plant. I'm sorry. Yeah. They arrested every single Latino person Including in the plant. a U.S. citizen, okay. including several people with work authorizations. The only people left behind, according to several reports from workers, uh, were the white workers. Um, uh, workers report rough treatment. It was uh, it's unbelievable. And it was the first worksite raid of this scale that we've seen in a decade. Uh, and so the Morristown community uh, understands better than anyone at this point why. Uh, why our country stopped using this egregious tactic. So all I can say uh, is that when a raid of this size happens, it's, it's like a bomb goes off. This is a small community, almost 100 people ripped away. Uh, I've, I've, it's, it's the closest thing I can describe how it felt in that church was like we were responding to a natural disaster. A small community in Tennessee, the very next day after the raid, 600 kids missed school. The fear and the terror uh, that swept across the community can't be, can't be overstated. And the administration has, has only suggested that they're going to carry out more of these worksite raids. But uh, on the, the positive side, I think two things uh, to take from the Morristown experience. One is the families didn't flee. The families found sanctuary in that church, and they've been fighting like hell for their families. And already, of the 54 people who were shipped out of state that day and who were detained for several weeks, of the 54, we've already brought 36 home, and we're not going to give up until everybody's back. But the other piece is that this community, 77% of this community, this county, voted for Donald Trump. Many people talked about how um, you know, they might have even supported his rhetoric on immigration. But just like we're seeing at this crisis at the border, when, you, when it feels this close to home, right? when you can imagine it being your kids, or for the communities in Morristown, when it was the kids that their kids went to school with, the people that they sat next to in church, 
Uh, they felt it in a different way, and they also stood up and fought back. We had to turn away volunteers. Uh, the church was overflowing with donations. Uh, and like I said, around turning these points of crises into transformative moments, we've been able to really have people change their minds and talk about how immigration is going to be what drives their vote in November. What, ha- what happened at, uh, at that plant is, brings to mind another challenge that undocumented people have all the time, which is the worker, many of the, the workers that were being paid under minimum wage, but plant owners were not held criminally responsible for underpaying their, their workers. How can people advocate for sarin, fair and safe working conditions for undocumented workers without putting them at risk of deportation? Yeah, so the reason that this meat processing plant got on the radar of ICE to begin with is because the owner was under investigation for not paying taxes, certainly for underpaying the workers. Um, meat, Meat packing plants are already one of the most dangerous jobs in America, and this man operated one of the worst. He broke nearly every labor law. People worked in incredibly dangerous conditions. They weren't paid fairly. Uh, and they put in, again, several years of, of honest labor at this factory. And so not only was the plant operator undercutting businesses by, by treating workers this way, but people's immigration status can be held over their heads, right, when it comes to reporting these dangerous conditions. And so, you know, there's a piece of legislation that's been introduced in Congress again this year and for several years uh, that would allow undocumented workers protection to report these kinds of violations called the POWER Act. So we need something like that. Of course, fundamentally, we need to make sure that workers have a chance to apply for citizenship, right, and to be able to, to work lawfully. But the thing that should really outrage everybody is although it was the plant operator who was under investigation, uh, although he was the one who was violating all of these conditions... Don't tell me he didn't get scooped up in the raid. The plant is still operating, right? He is yet to face any charges. The plant is fully operational at this point. I'm sure at some point charges will be brought against him. But any of this rhetoric that the administration is looking after American workers is completely undercut. In, in Bean Station. And again, the Trump administration, we have to remember that they have policy choices that they're making. They could have chosen any number of ways to go after this employer. They could have audited him, they could have fined him, but instead they used the most violent and aggressive form of enforcement they could think of, again, storming the plant with weapons, taking uh, you know, 160 kids had a parent arrested that day. Uh, And at this point in the story, the 97 workers and their families are the only ones to have borne any consequence from this raid. How can we use immigration as an issue to create new voters, um, not just in elections this fall, but in beyond? I know that your organization already has a plan to create a political organization out of the work that y'all have been doing thus far. So tell us more about that. How can this be a mobilizing issue? Yeah, so two things. I do feel like what is happening in this country certainly in the last few weeks with the crisis at the border, is people are understanding that immigration is not just about what happens to immigrant families. It's a question of our values as a country uh, and who we're going to be. And so it's our job to make sure that people have the tools uh, to vote with their values. And as you all know in the audience and as you all are well aware, Tennessee, this is a critical election year for us. 
We have a historic number of seats open in our state legislature. We have three open U.S. House seats. We have an open U.S. Senate seat, an open governor's seat. So it's an incredible opportunity for us to really make sure uh, that our representatives uh, reflect our values. But it's also a crisis. We know that there's so much at stake for immigrant families and for many communities, and so we, we have to do everything we can to ensure uh, that, that our next uh, elected officials reject this xenophobia and stand up for immigrant communities. And so that's why we know that as an organization and as an immigrant rights movement here in Tennessee, we have to do more. And so that's why we're starting a, a new organization, and you all are the very first to hear about it. Um, but this summer, we're starting an organization called Turk Votes, which is going to build real political power for immigrants and refugees. We're going to make sure that all Tennesseans who are outraged by mass deportations, who are outraged by the raid that they saw in Bean Station, who want to defend refugee resettlement and the opportunities for people to seek safety here, uh, that they have a, a political home. They have a way uh, to make sure that they know which side their legislators are on. Uh, and and so Turk Votes is coming uh, August of this summer. Yeah. But we can't do it without you. If we want to turn the tide in Tennessee, if we want to hold elected officials accountable and defeat anti-immigrant candidates up and down the ballot, we need your help. So I want to invite everybody who's here and anybody who's listening who knows what's at stake in Tennessee to go to uh, a new website, which is live today, which is www.turkvotes.org. It's T-I-R-R-C votes.org. Sign up, join us uh, this November. We're going to make sure that immigrants and their allies uh, have a strong voice this November. You're very good. Because always it will, in interviews like this, I always try to prompt people at the end, like had to tell our listeners I can do it, but you didn't need that. Stephanie, thank you much for joining us. And, thank you. And thank you so much for the work you're doing. It's really amazing. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Will we come back again? Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Hello, America. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you don't have Consumer Cellular yet, now is the perfect time to switch and save. For a limited time, new customers can get wireless service for as low as $15 a month for your first year. Yep, the same exact nationwide coverage as the leading carriers for $15 a month for an entire year. What are you waiting for? Call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com and use code RADIO15. See ConsumerCellular.com slash FIRSTYEAR15 for promotional details. You can live out your MasterChef dreams. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. And we're back. 
before we get to the game, look, there's been a lot of news out there about the sartorial choices of Melania Trump. Um, <laughs> here's the thing. We wanted to show that we do care. Um, so uh, before we get to the game, we thought we would auction off this jacket <laughs> that says, so Melania said, I really don't care to you. Our jacket says, I vote to you. Uh, and we wanted to do a quick auction and all the proceeds will go uh, to Stephanie's new organization. Um, so I'm gonna run an auction. It seems like, oh, oh, just get, buckle up guys. If you think $10 is gonna count. Uh, let's narrow this fast, $1,000. One here. Uh, 1,500. 1,500. 2,000. I'm not kidding. Anybody want to do it? I can't see up there. Can, can we get the 2,000? 2,000. Can I get the lights up? Anybody? <laughs> no. Thank you. This is cool. Oh, this one says, uh, I really do care. That's cool. Um, we're at 2,000. Oh, another one, oh. I really do care. Uh, anybody want to go 2,500? 2,500. 2,500. Anybody? Oh, fuck you. <laughs> Anybody want to go 3,000? $3,000. Anybody want to go 3,500? 3,500. I love attention, yes. <laughs> oh, I forgot. David Koch is here. Uh, <laughs> what if they split it? Well, they can't split the coat. Four thousand one hundred. He just him. wanted to win. Wait, hold on. Four thousand. <laughs> wait, listen. He's gonna spend four thousand. No coat. You're gonna spend two thousand. You get the coat. Deal. All right. So, wow. At the end of the How show. At the end of the show, come backstage. Wait. Okay. Travis is gonna get your information. Who are these heroes? What's your name, sir? What's your name? What's your name? Marty Caraman. Marty Caraman. Marty Caraman. Well, Travis, what's her name? Come up on, come here. Come up on stage. Come, come here. <laughs> Marty is a national treasure, come okay? On come on up, come on up. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you, Stephanie, Thank for you being Stephanie. here. Oh, man. Starting this organization. Well, we're here in Nashville. <laughs> at the Ryman. You know Nashville, it's... Motown for people bad at dancing. <laughs> Wasn't sure if I'd get boo. Okay, there, there. There it is. Thank you. Country music is all about the lyrics. Who can forget famous country lyrics like somebody once told me the world is going to roll me. I, <laughs> I ain't the tarpus shoot tool in the set. Fine, fine, fine. You're all right. Don't love the Nashville sound. How about uh, it's going down, I'm yelling timber, right? Classics. <laughs> Nashville classics. But us Yankees, we tend to be nervous about country music, not because we don't like to listen to it, but because it has the reputation of being a little bit conservative. But any true country fan knows that country is not as conservative as you think. So I thought we'd highlight some of the best liberal country songs in a game we're calling, Thank God I'm a Country Gender Non-Binary Forward-Thinking Progressive. <laughs> You guys all have your cards. Would somebody out there like to play the game and the merch? <laughs> uh, 
It already happened. Look, it, looked, it already happened right there. Travis, how are you feeling? Travis, how are you doing? <laughs> Talk to the mic, Travis. Feeling great. Feeling great. Good. Great. Hi, what's your name? Rachel. Rachel. And are you from Nashville or its environs? I'm from Covington. It's West Tennessee, north of Memphis. And uh, do you listen to country music? No. Perfect. That might have been a place for a white lie. So it's Rachel? Yes. Again, so good at remembering names. Okay. I'm going to read you a question. The panel will read answers, and you'll have to suss out the answer. Okay? Question number one. In 1975, this Loretta Lynn song was banned from the radio for being too controversial, but it still made it to the Billboard Top 100. Is it A? There's a snake in my boot, and by snake, I mean government, and by boot, I mean vagina. (laughs) (laughs) Or is it B? I did not read the games before. (laughs) I didn't either. The Pill, a song about women's liberation thanks to birth control. Is it C? I Took a Pill in Ibiza, a song that explored Loretta's <laughs> complex feelings about club drugs and trying to make the late Avicii think she was cool. Ooh. Or is it D? The Pill, a song that warns about ambient tendency to cause racist out- outbursts <laughs> in comedians. And Tommy, you gave me a weird look like that's the right answer, but I think it has to be B. You got it. Question number two, Merle Haggard's 1969 song, Okie from Muskogee, was a hit amongst conservatives because of lines like, we don't smoke marijuana in Muskogee. But later, <laughs> later, Haggard revealed he wrote the song as a joke while he was high with his band. <laughs> what did Merle try to follow up this song with before his label intervened? Is it A? Irma Jackson about forbidden love between a white man and a black woman. Is it B? Irma Jackson, about the forbidden love between a man and his anime body pillow. (laughs) Is it C? Drug user from Hollywood or New York or someplace like that, which includes the line, we do smoke marijuana, and the second we did, we realized Vietnam was a mistake and Nixon is terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Or was it D? Actually, we're not against weed, it just makes us kind of sleepy, in which Merle does a very nuanced look at recreational cannabis, including the famous line, Sure, it's not as harmful as alcohol, but doesn't it make you feel kind of disconnected? Is that really a good thing? So a kind of nuanced take on weed, that could have been the answer. What do you think? I think A. You got it. Question three. In the 1970s, country star Anita Bryant campaigned against a local ordinance for gay rights. In response, a different country star named David Allen Coe did what? Is it A? released a pro-gay song called Fuck Anita Bryant that included the lyrics... <laughs> that included the lyrics, throw that expletive in prison. Just, that's what it says on my card. Um, maybe then she'll see just how much those goddamn homosexuals mean to me. <laughs> or is it B? Teased his next song for weeks with a series of cryptic hashtags and avant-garde teaser trailers that ultimately hyped the song way beyond what he could deliver. Good option. Is it C? campaigned for the ordinance, then rose through the ranks in local politics and ultimately built enough grassroots support to become America's first country music president under the gnome de guerre, Jimmy Carter. <laughs> <laughs> or is it D? <laughs> Seduced Anita Bryant's dad out of spite, and if he's being honest, a little bit of wanting to. <laughs> I gotta be, I get D. No. It's <laughs> definitely not D. Uh, it, it was, uh, what was it? I moved on. <laughs> Oh, it's A. 
Sorry, it was, I just, it was so obvious I didn't think I'd have to go to my notes. Yes, he released a pro-gay song called Fuck Anita Bryant. Sorry. That it was too that harsh, obvious. Rachel. You're doing wonderfully. <laughs> Sometime I come along I, a little I told strong. you don't listen to country music. No, you're doing great, Rachel. Thank you. Give it up for Rachel. Question number four. Which of these is not a real quote from a country star about politics? Which is not? Rachel, don't worry. I think it'll all be okay. It'll all be okay. Is it A? Sturgill Simpson, who said, Trump's a fascist fucking pig, and I'm not afraid to say that. <laughs> that that's, that's, that, that audio is going to end up on Fox News, isn't it? Great. Cool. Audio doesn't go viral. It's the world. There's more. Casey Musgraves, who said recently, I keep dreaming of the day when we have a gay country music icon that is loud and proud and really like a hero for country music fans, especially in these small towns where LGBTQ people have t are terrified of being themselves and feel like they have to hide. Is it C? Jason Isbell, who said the Trump president... <laughs> oh, it's like... Very that bottom. tells us something. The Trump presidency has convinced me that we are living in a post-Christian America. Trump is obviously not a good Christian person. I think that the fact that so many people voted for him means that there aren't that many good Christian people left in rural America. <laughs> or is it D? Blake Shelton, who said, <laughs> Our legal system is broken, and if it were up to me, all court decisions should be made by a judge sitting in a giant red chair facing away from the defendant. <laughs> No, 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 no. Now hear me out. If they find the defendant guilty, they hit a giant red button and Adam Levine takes them away to get tattoos and then they go to jail. It's just an idea. Which one is not the real quote, Rachel? D. Rachel, you got it. You have one. Thank God I'm a country, gender, non-binary, forward-thinking progressive. A great game to play here at the Ryman. Before we go. John, before we go. That? It's worth noting, we are in Tennessee. Yes. We need Tennessee's Senate seat. Yeah, we and haven't we talked are, about those. Yes. You have a great choice for Senate and Phil Bredesen. Marsha Blackburn is like a Donald Trump clone at this point. No one okay, there you go. Um, so make sure that you guys work your asses off for Phil Bredesen because um, there's not a path to a Democratic Senate that doesn't come through Tennessee. Yeah. So that, that's on you people. That's right. Yeah. You guys are not used to being this integral <laughs> in the national political scene. Seriously. But seriously. Not since the 2000. The opportunity to flip Tennessee into the Democratic column in 18 could make the difference between stopping the Trump agenda permanently. Every judge, every judge, Supreme Court justice. How many of you, how many of you have knocked on doors before? How many of you haven't? Hey, you got to fix that. It's the first right? time you for You have everything. to get out there. This and is the election. A lot of you election. have done neither, apparently. This, a lot of you have done neither, which is incredible. <laughs> a lot of you are a walking paradox. <laughs> if you haven't, that's okay. It seems intimidating. You can do it. Fun. We need everyone here to do it. This is the election. Tennessee has not been a swing state for a long time. This is it. You are a swing state in 2018. 
There's also a gubernatorial election. Gubernatorial election. We have an open governor's seat. It's so important y'all get out there and vote. Make phone calls, drag some folks to the polls. Have a poll party. Nashville, we love you. Thank you so much for coming out tonight. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.